0: Christ, is risen from the dead, by the fact He can go down there. sit down. We are now up to number four of a series of talks on Elder Porfirios. The first talk was Elder Porfirios I think as a young child, that's talk number what is it, 19 or something. Then the next talk was Elder Porfirios as a spiritual father. Last month was Encounters with a clairvoyant elder, and this week is the fourth talk which is not the name yet but around those around that the um, same thing Now, some of you might be wondering, why am I doing so many talks on this particular elder, when there's so many elders? And that's correct. One difference between this elder and the others is that there's so much information on him because he passed away, as we said, in 1991. So there are people still alive, and there will be people that will be alive who have known him for decades to come. And that has a special thing. And the other thing that I said last week is that because he lived so close to our time, or in our times, that he addressed topics which Orthodox Christians are concerned about, especially on children. And also there are so many influences in the world today, uh, negative influences, that Orthodox Christians are quite confused. So when I started reading the books on all the I was, I was going, to, going to do a few talks, I realized that there's just so much and I decided that I'm going to go on because what I've been told, plus the, these talks are sent overseas, uh, that people have found them extremely beneficial. As some of you have already told me, those of you who I've had contact with, but also, I get some emails and feedback from overseas, both Canada, America, etc., that have actually purchased the talks. And they actually have said that, that these talks, because of this elder, are quite beneficial. So I think we should proceed on. If you remember, last month, we uh, got up to Elder Porfirios dealing with parents regarding their children. Now that topic is really what we say a hot issue and the reason being is that parents are at a loss of how to bring up their children. Because the influences in the world are so strong now, especially because of television and the internet, that parents basically have lost themselves and lost their children. In dealing with all these pressures. And as I said to you a couple of months ago when Father was here, Father Alexander, I said that the topic of children causes me great anxiety because well I didn't really know why, but I actually just always think that the topic of children causes me anxiety and people who are not doing the right thing with their children causes me a lot of times anger and then i realized not to compare myself to the elder but that's the the priesthood then i realized as i was reading through that elder Porfírio says that the biggest thing in this world is for for the for for parents to bring up children that is the greatest uh, honor that god has given the parents to bring up the children that God gave them, because they're not really their children, it's like God gave it to them as a loan. A lot of people believe that they're, it's their possession, that when they have children, it's theirs, not really realising that it's God's children, and secondly, the parents. That Elder Porfirio says that this is the most difficult but the most special of them all. But today, where people go wrong is that they forget that the most important thing for the upbringing of children is the Christian upbringing, as Christ says, seek first the kingdom of heaven. If you first seek the spiritual, then everything else will happen automatically. Christ promises that. Christ says, if you first seek the kingdom of heaven, then everything else will come your way. But people haven't got that faith, and they say, first we have to seek the kingdom of the earth. In other words, we have to make sure that our children have everything, which is not necessary, that our children have the best education, which is not also necessary, good, but not absolutely everything. And everything else that children become, that the children show that they're intelligent, that children show their gifts, that they can do a lot of things, whether it's sports or music or drama or anything and everything, except to be Orthodox Christians, to unite your children, with Christ, such that everything else happens automatically, and that's where people go wrong. This topic is a very sensitive topic, and I'm going to dedicate, with God's help, a whole talk just on that topic, but I'm going to do a few more things that I actually got from all different books, and then later on we will go on to it in more detail. So there was a few other things that uh, we started. We we did say a few things last time, Um, that was about the man who was um, a dictator, where the elder said you're like a dictator and that's why your child's got the problems that he's got. Now, there's another one here. It says a mother who had serious problems with her children asked him, Elder, were my children born like that or are there problems due to our mistakes? That's a common question. People say, is my child like that from hereditary? Is my child like that because we did something? Or, as most parents say, someone else influenced the child because parents a lot of times never want to blame themselves if the children become alcoholics someone else did it if the children become drug addicts someone else did it if the children go on a wrong road it's wrong road someone else did it never them parents need to blame themselves for their children's fault even if you see someone influencing your children and it's obvious that someone influenced your children then that happened because of a mistake of the parents in the first place, where God took away his grace and allowed that influence to incur, because we have other children of parents who they are, who someone comes up to them and says to them, do this or do that or take this drug or whatever, and, the, and they say no. Same influence, but one child says no, and the other child says yes. So we can't say it's just the influence that's at fault. But you'll see as you go on with these, and that's why these are very important, where Elder Porphyrios analyses it, that you'll see how much it is to do with the parents. He replied, they are due to our mistakes. They are also influenced by their friends who live sinfully and slander Christ. In other words, he admits there that it's also the, um, the friends, but as we go on we will see that the Ultimate reason will be the parents So that that one there we have to remember they are due to our mistakes and They are also influenced but the influence comes from the mistake of the parents a mother asked if it was better to take her children with her and Settle in London, so obviously this must be a Greek woman who went to the older And a lot of Greeks, as you know, like Serbians and Russians, whatever, they go to different countries. So this woman had a thought, why don't I go to live in London? The elder said, don't buy a house in London. Don't go there. Your work is not there. The climate is damp. The people foreigners and cold of another faith. Your children will be sad there. It is better for you to stay here where the people are Christian Orthodox Greeks. The climate is good here and the children will be happy. Children do not need pressure. So let's look at that part there. Does that mean that all of you people that came from overseas did bad, etc.? Well, that's not for me to judge. There's circumstances of why people uh, leave their countries. And this particular advice was for this woman. He could give advice to someone else and say, go to that country, if that's what God wills. In this case, we have to always remember that the advice that is given, is given for a specific person. The main thing here is that this woman went to ask the advice of the elder. Why? She wanted to know what was God's will. Should I go to that country? Should I not go to that country? That's the same with all of us. We always need to always seek God's will for whatever decision we make. We need to make. Who to marry? whether to become a monk, whether to become a nun, whether to stay single in the world, where to work, maybe what career to take, where to send your children to school if you have to send them, or whether you should do homeschooling, not do homeschooling. There's so many things that we have to um, decide in our life. And if we read these books closely, you'll, you'll see that the elders always seek the will of God. Now, some of you will say, but where are the elders? Are there elders like Elder Porphyrios here in Australia? Well, I would have to probably say no, because if there was, I would hunt them out. But the problem here is then what do we do? This This is the essence. If we knew, all of us here, including myself, if we knew, for example, that somewhere in Australia but there was someone who had a reputation truly of being an elder and we don't go because we don't really want to know God's will, we want to do our own will, then that is actually quite serious and that person we be punished. However, when we don't have someone to go to, we can go, of course, to our spiritual father. Now, the spiritual father, if he's a humble spiritual father, will be direct on matters of Church canons. If you did a certain sin, whether you should commune, whether you shouldn't commune, etc., and all those things—that's the church canons. But the church canons don't mention who you should marry. It doesn't ma- doesn't mention what job you should have. It doesn't mention where you should move to. It doesn't mention what certain things with your children. It doesn't mention a lot of things. The humble spiritual father will always. Say, we have to seek God's will. And therefore, because you have gone to the spiritual father with humility, not with a a double heart, where part of your heart says, I want to know what God's will, but the other part is, I don't really want to know. But we have to approach, and if not, don't approach at all, with a heart which entirely wants to know what's God's will. We ask the spiritual father, as well as we pray, we also do prayers ourselves privately, and we ask God to help us to find His will in certain matters. Now, Elder Porfirio says that these these prayers that we make to seek God's will, or going to, even to an elder, or going to your spiritual father, they are only valid if we are leading a Christian life. And with the eye, with the little picture that you're going to get at the end. Nice picture there of the old dung. And at the back, there was one that I, that I found. So I put a few little quotes there for you. And it says, We tempt God when we ask something from him while our life is far removed from him and not according to his will. When we seek from God anything, whether it's to know his will or whether it's something for our children or healing for our husbands, whatever, anything, when we are seeking things from God but our life is removed from him in other words we're not repenting Not doesn't mean we have to be perfect we're not Protestants no, we are Orthodox Christians who know the weakness of the soul and we know that to lead a Christian life especially in today's world is extremely difficult and everyone's being hit therefore it's not the person to be perfect because no one can be perfect except for God. But what is necessary is that we are repentant. That we are struggling and if we fall, we repent. If need be for certain sins, we have to confess. And up again. And down again. And up again. If we're doing that, doesn't matter how many times we sin, as long as there's struggle and there's true repentance, then God will listen to us. He, he has promised that he will listen to us when we are seeking, as long as we are trying to seek him, when we're trying to obtain salvation. An example I mentioned last week, last month, about the pigs in Mount Athos, which, was, um, which a lot of you like. There's another example which I've mentioned years ago, about a year ago, maybe, but some of you weren't there, and I thought that was an excellent one. And it was as follows. And you'll understand because some of you people are confused of what is spiritual life. We've we've mentioned before that people come into the church, everything goes well. As I said, praying is easy. We go to confession, we go to church, we read spiritual books, we like talking about orthodoxy about God, etc. But then as time goes on, these things become harder and harder such that all of a sudden we begin to fall and we're not interested much and we are being squashed. And people then think, oh, because of their pride, because of when we have a high opinion of ourselves, when we fall, we actually can't go back to God because of our pride. When people don't repent, it comes from pride. That's, That's what the fathers say if God allowed us to remain as some of you and all of us including myself came into the church where everything was easy in the beginning that's i'm talking about those who really change those who whose soul has a hundred percent change some of you have experienced that some of you haven't experienced it yet that doesn't that doesn't mean you're inferior at this what i'm just talking about now because I've got two lots of people here I've got people that have experienced it and people who haven't So I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to help both groups. But let's look at the group who did. They have a change of life. They don't, they cut off from a lot of worldly things. They really change and become fully absorbed in the church's life. They believe that they're going to keep on going like that. But but God can't allow that to happen because if he did, the person would fall into what's called satanic pride that the person believes that they're good. And we start to judge others. It's automatic. We can't help it because of the pride that's in us. Obviously, if we're doing our prayers continually, if we go to confession often, if we commune often, if we read spiritual books and we have an understanding to a certain degree, then obviously we're going to start to look down, whether we know it or not. It happens, because it happens even subconsciously, that we begin to look down at others that aren't like that. So what does God do in his love? He allows allows doesn't cause because we attempt tempted. when temptations come it's our decision to fall. Temptations come and the person begins to fall. And the more they don't repent, the more the, the falls become even greater. And suddenly these people cannot pray anymore. Look, I know people, for example, who went to Mount Athos, who went to Jerusalem, who saw holy who saw the holy light. Who went to monasteries? Went to Sinai, where Moses gave, where God gave the Ten Commandments to, to Moses. People that have been overseas and people that have been in the church and etc. had a spiritual father that was taking care of them. All these things. Now, a lot of those people can't even read a spiritual book. They can't open a spiritual book. They cannot even pray themselves. And a lot of those people also go to church. If they go to church, they'll go very seldom. Or if they go, they'll go late, halfway usually. Or if they come, they'll come and stand outside. Or if they stay inside, they can't concentrate. So this is what happens. Why? Because we fall into pride and we won't humble ourselves so God can give us his grace, true grace. In the beginning, it's mixed. Remember also the demons can also give us uh, help. They can help us to even pray. If the prayer is false, obviously that's not going to bother them. If the prayer is proud, that's not going to bother them. The demons can help the person to fast. The demons can help the person read as long as they read it in a proudful way and they are the more they read, the more they become darkened. The demons can help them not be embarrassed a lot of these people can, they, they, they go, they can do their cross, they're not embarrassed, they talk about Christ, they all these things. But later on, when they crumble down, they can't even do their cross. They can't even say that they're even orthodox Christians. A lot of times they hide it at work. Not that they have to go and publicise. But before they used to be open and now they can't even say anything. So remember that not everyone who has zeal and not everyone who necessarily is in the church and we say, oh, look at that person or look at ourselves, look how great we are, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're according to God's, with with God's grace. It also can be out of deception. And most of the time, I have to tell you something, not to um, put you down, all of us, a lot of times, a lot of the things we have is from pride. Especially during the uh, Lent, the last Lent, You hear people say, I fasted the whole 40 or 50 days. Remember the example of the monk, as I said, who became so proud that he wasn't eating meat that his spiritual father made him go into the marketplace, into the middle of the town, and told him to eat meat in front of everyone to take out that demon that he had of his pride that he had that he didn't eat meat. Now, we we'll go back to the example of the of Manathos. I find this example great, and it helps us to understand, because married couples come and say, oh, we fight continually. Remember when I said about a a year ago, I said, a couple came to me that were going to get married at one of the talks. And I said to them, well, they said to me, um, I've got to, get, we've got to register so many people to talk to me. Sometimes I do not even blur the stories together, but I think I'll... Try and get the story. If it's blurred, it doesn't matter. But the main thing is that they said. I said to them, when you get married, beware, because you will get to the stage where you will be fighting continually and you will get to the stage where at times you will hate each other. Oh, no. That will not happen. That's not going to happen. I said it will happen because that's part of spiritual life and that's more normal and then you fight it. Sometime later, somehow, I had contact with the fellow, completely oblivious to the conversation that we had, and he said to me, um, oh, can I ask you something? I go, yes, he goes, oh, we just fight all the time. I go, but I told you that, remember? that time?" Goes, no, I don't remember anything. See, people are just in their own world, they don't remember. And they, and, they, and then he said to me, sometimes I feel like she hates me. I go, do you hate her? Because he goes, I think I do. So therefore, <laughs> therefore, not that I'm a prophet, uh, but that's part of spiritual life. Let's see this. Manathos now. We have the monasteries, and we have what's called the killa. The killa are like houses that are situated in an area, like a village. In the middle is the, is the church, the main church where all the monks go on big feast days. But all the other days, they all have their own little chapels in their houses, and they might live one, two, three, four, I think maximum, I can't remember, maybe five maximum. And they all have this in there. So that's called a, um, a skeet. And an individual house could be called a, like a Kelly or something like that. I don't even know myself the proper words. But so there were some monks there living together. And basically, every day, the other monks would hear them in their house, screaming, shouting. Why? Because they were fighting, punching each other. Um, really, really bad, such that some other monks come up to them to try and say to them, what's going on? You know, it's you're, you're disturbing the peace, firstly, of the of the skeet. And secondly, this is a, a scandal. What's happening? Why are you doing that? And sometimes they would be so angry that they would even chase the other monks away. So the situation was that they were basically smashing each other, fighting, 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 every day. This is important. You know? say, so, oh, that's extreme. But I tell you that a lot of people, due to circumstances in their life, some emo- emotional upheavals, the, the um, maybe they were brought up in a house where there was uh, anger. The parents used to fight continually, and some people, like from day one, were brought up in an atmosphere of fighting and swearing and aggressiveness, etc. And those people grow up; it's like it's in their blood. And the main thing is that they are repentant. Now, whether these monks were, we'll we'll see in a minute. But the main thing is that it is true, all of us here, you will find that there are passions in all of you, including myself, that are so deep, which makes us to sin, whether it could be jealousy, whether it could be anger, whether it could be even paranoia. Some people are brought up on paranoia because their mothers might have been paranoid, or fathers. So the child learns. There's millions of reasons why only God knows at the end of the day on the, on the last judgment how everyone will be judged. But don't think that being a Christian is someone who flutters around with wings and is like some France of Assisi or Catholic type of thing which is how, how some of you believe What a, what is Christian life. The Christian life is that you're perfect. But that's not what Christian life is about. Christian life is to be smashed and to get up and be smashed again and get up. And what does the word get up mean? It means to get up, keep on struggling and repent. Anyway, so this was going on for years in this skeet with these monks. And as I said, even to the point of blows. Suddenly, it was quiet one day, and one of the monks, if I remember the story right, I'm a little bit because I've heard it years ago, from uh, from another monk, when I went somewhere. Anyway, and it was quiet, and someone, as I said, I'm not exactly sure, heard a voice say, "Go and bury my martyrs." And then this monk was a bit perplexed and was saying, "What martyrs? And There's no persecution at this time." And again, he heard the voice saying, "Go bury my martyrs." Somehow, they decided to go to the house of these monks who would smash each other and shout and scream, etc., who were the fear of the uh, of the area. And they walked in. And what do they see? They see each monk in a state of or in a position of prostration. You know, like when you ask forgiveness from someone, you bend down, or maybe on the on their knees, I think probably on their knees doing prostrations. Because in the in the tradition of Mount Athos, every night, which should be in every in, in every house, no one goes to bed without asking forgiveness and that's why everyone does prostrations to each other, especially if you've offended someone, you've got to go up to them and say, forgive me, brother, or forgive me, sister, etc. That's the same as happens with married couples. That's how it should be. We shouldn't go to bed. Couples should not go to bed without asking forgiveness from each other. That's really bad. Children seeing that will learn. Children don't see that, and a lot of people that I've that I've come across who actually can't ask forgiveness When you go deep into their lives, into their childhood, they said that my parents used to fight but they never, ever, ever, ever asked forgiveness from each other and actually they said they would just act the next day as if nothing happened. That's completely the worst thing. So these monks, they were called martyrs. Why were they called martyrs when they used to sin in such a horrible way? What's the answer to that? The answer is as follows. When someone is fighting their passions and you're trying not to fall, I mean, they were obviously falling, but they could have had potential to fall more than they, than, more than they did, but the force on them was so great. They were trying, but the main thing was that every night they would ask forgiveness because they couldn't help it. And God called them martyrs. That's where we think that a martyr is someone who goes and confesses Christ and gets his head cut off. That is a martyr. But martyrs, it's also called that's called red martyrdom through blood. There's also what's called white martyrdom. White martyrdom we call the um, ascetics, for example, who would who would make their bodies to suffer by sleeping on the ground and having eaten, you know, like weeds and things like that. But that's not the only that's not how that martyrdom is. It's also when we fight with our passions. For example, someone can have a sexual passion, and that person is really fighting not to fall and suffers. It's like we say you spit blood so as not to fall. And if something happens, up again and start struggling. So those monks were truly martyrs. Now, that story, I know, that a lot of you, it will be like confusion because it's not what you think of what Christianity is. Another example, some people went overseas and said to me they went to a church, to a monastery, and there was a priest that was doing the service there for the nuns. And they, this young woman said to me when she came back, she goes, I don't know, um, there was this priest there and he used to become very angry easily. Even while serving, he would become angry. Okay. Being a priest and, and having experienced all those things, I knew straight away what was going on. And I said to her, do you find that priest, the one that you're talking about, that gets really angry, do you find that he was one of the best when he when he would serve outside of the times that he would become angry? Would he serve the best that you've seen? And she goes, yeah, he really felt what he was praying and he felt the service and he was praying and it was so uplifting. That's, that's another martyr. You say, but he's a priest. So what? That's, that's the demon's fight. God allows certain passions to fall on, on people to humble them. Obviously, that priest was humbled, the fact that in front of everyone at times he would react. But that's because he was praying that's because he wasn't what we say in Greek, anesthetos, which is this comes from the word uh, when you put someone to sleep in the hospital, anesthesia, which means that you're dead. So you can have a priest there who doesn't show any reaction and you're not sure, is it a statue, is it a human being? Because it doesn't show, there's no reaction. He might not become angry, not become irritated, whatever. Of course there are others who are so holy who had that but who were able to be like that. But St. John of Cronstan used to, when he wrote in his diary there, My Life in Christ, would say what temptations he used to go through as a priest while he was serving, all the bad thoughts that he had, and the anger and the irritation, and, 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 and. And he had a lot of temptation with his wife, who um, who he a lot of times he used to become so upset with her that he used to call her names. This is St. John of Cronstan, by the way. And, um... We have to get out of this Western Catholicy or whatever Protestant type of idea of what is spiritual life. That's not. If you think spiritual life is someone who is perfect and doesn't sin, that's our goal. But due to get to that stage, like Saint um, Porphyrios did, where he where he atta- attained the Holy Spirit. It takes a lot of struggle and a lot of falls. And through falling, actually, we learn humility. Now, he goes on to this woman. Children do not need pressure. When they are naughty, do what is right as their mother, but don't, pre- don't put pressure on them. It is good that you read the Bible to them every day. If one of your children protests, leave him, take your other children, go into another room, and continue reading. See the difference? A lot of people think, no, we have to force the child because then the child will get used to it. He will get used to not being read and being away and at the end it will never come and be read. But when you force the child, actually there's more chance it won't won't come because as it grows up and gets a bit older, it will go against you and it will not attend the prayers that you have or whatever else you're doing. When you go to church and your children don't want to come with you, don't force them. But don't be indifferent about it. You should say to them, children, I'm leaving for church. Whoever wants to come can come with me now or come later. Give them the option. Say these words to them and pray for your children a great deal. God will speak to them by your prayer. A lot of times we, all of us, we believe that we're going to change people through our will. Not through God's help, through our will. Through our words or through our threats or through our insistence. This does not work a lot of times. This actually has a negative effect on the people that we're trying to help, whether it's our children, our husbands, wives, or whatever, brother, sister. This forcefulness, this pressure, is what I call orthodox Protestants. Orthodox Christians, but the spirit of a Protestant whereby we think that we're going to go and then truly then we can be called Bible bashers and all these other words. And that's why they're called that. Before I even came, as I said, I I came older to the church and I was studying to become a teacher and then this Greek guy came up to me when I was there during the lunchtime and started talking to me about Bibles and things like that and to me it made me sick. Probably... Probably if I would have come to the church a bit earlier, I came a bit later, because he made me sick. And the Lord, and the Lord, and the Lord, and this and that. And it's just, um, I find it repulsive. And I'm sure some of you who are even go to church, when you hear it, you can't take it. You have to be very, very careful how we approach people. Elder Porphyrios, one of the things that I've learned from doing this talk, I thank you for that part of it, because if it wasn't for you people, I wouldn't probably have studied it as as much, because when you've got to present something, you've got to study a bit and get into the spirit of the elder. For some reason, I read so many books, but I never read Elder Porphyrios. Time came now, and I've read quite a bit of it, and what I've learned from this elder is this thing about the prayer. Which other saints say it as well, but not to the extent I've noticed that he does it. Remember the example of the louts that were at the village, and the elder was going to the to serve to do a service in the church in the village, and these louts were shouting and screaming and laughing, and then he was with an old man. The elder was with an old man, and he and the and the old man started to tell the kids off. If you remember last month, and then the elder said, "Don't do that. Don't." Speak to them like that. So off they went to church, and then the kids after some time came in, then the old man ran to the elder and said, see, you told me off, but it worked, it was because, of, because I told them off. The elder says, it's not because you told them off, it's because I prayed. And we'll see more of this theme. If anything you're going to learn from this elder, it's going to be this theme of the prayer. A woman said to me, my husband's drinking. Like he's got a bit of a, like an alcohol problem. That, that can be really bad. And um, she bought one of those books from the back there, which is for an alcoholic's, uh, which one is it? Inexhaustible Cup? Inexhaustible Cup. And this woman began to read that acathest. And I said to her, which I learned from the elder, don't tell your husband. The elder teachers don't tell someone that you're doing prayers for them because somehow the demons come along and just mix the whole thing and they become more opposing to you I say nothing to him. do it secretly you and god or in this case you and the mother of god because the prayers and akathis to the mother of god i think which ultimately is to god and she said to me she read it once the first time she read it, and all of a sudden he basically stopped for quite a few days and then he fluctuates a little bit here and there, but the situation, as she said, has improved dramatically. And I'll tell you the example last week of someone else whose child was all over the place. The child was horrible, even though it was very young, but it, was just not, it wasn't a very nice child. And they were doing an Akathas for the children. And same thing, without knowing the example of the other person, because after the first one, the child changed dramatically. Obviously you can't go and tell the child I'm, I'm praying for you because the child's too young anyway. But the point is, it can't be from suggestion, like some people believe. Oh, it's from suggestion, you know, if you tell the child, mummy and daddy are praying for you then it's going to change all these stupidities. The child's too young, doesn't understand. All, all he understands is to climb up on everywhere and destroy everything. And the child was wild. Calm down. So what's I've learnt from this, from the elder, is prayer and that's what he's saying here. Don't Pressure the children. Extension to that. Don't pressure your husband. Don't pressure your wife. Don't pressure your brothers or sisters or cousins or friends, etc., etc. If you really care for those people, if we really care, then pray for them. Like St. Vanavis, I can't remember, one of the apostles. Does anyone know? He had so much love for this person who was a pagan. And then the apostle prayed, I can't remember, one of the apostles prayed so much for that for that person, and that person converted and became a very great apostle. Does anyone know, the you remember? So that's that one there. The older told the young couple that visited him, because you don't have love for each other, the child you will have will have problems. The older's prophecy came true, as events showed, the elder, of course, did not consider it a prophecy, which is what I was saying before about myself at times. But even though he did prophesize, but but the de- deterministic relation between two factors: lack of love, mathematical lack, like a mathematical equation. Lack of love between a husband and wife equals problematic children. So we even do maths. You know, just come to do spiritual things. So we say, lack of love between a husband and wife equals. Problematic children, but I'm going to add, it was October, plus. Plus suffering of the parents because the parents will suffer from the problems of their children. So the elder proved in practice the the validity of the educational theory that a child's development starts from the moment of conception. This is very important. Very, very, very important. We are now getting to the beginnings of how to bring up children in the right way. Some couples that I dealt with years ago, I told them, if you want to have children to be blessed, you have to think about that before conception. In other words, before you come together. And this is important and that's why I know that there are couples who even practice, who put it into practice of asking the, a monastery or a priest or whatever for prayers because they want to have a child so that God can bless the conception. And that is really important and that comes from what the Holy Fathers teach that it starts from conception when we see couples fighting before the woman gets pregnant or leading lives which are completely alien to God, perhaps the woman even, whether in conjunction with the husband or outside or whether she did it when she was single, could have committed abortions then obviously everything is forgivable, but you don't go and have another child before you've wiped off that sin. If a couple, for, or if people going to want to get married or are married and later on they come to Christ and have realised they've got a lot of sins, stealing, sex before marriage, whether with the person you're with or not, or with other people, or whatever, drugs, whatever, ever, ever has been done, we try to wipe all that off. With God's love and forgiveness, get rid of it so that the conception will be blessed. People don't know that for some reason. That is important. Now, some of these um, psychologists who know a few things but in general don't know much compared to the church, they've got some truths. Even the Egyptians had some truths before Christ came. They actually said a virgin will give birth and they had all these things in their pyramids and things like that. So God gave them little, as we say in Greek, spithas, which is like sparks of the truth. Not completely, but sparks. Pagans were given some truth. Other religions are given some truth. Psychologists, medicine. These people say a lot of things which are true and according to the church. Mixed up with a lot of other rubbish. Now the psychologists say, well, they're starting to say now, that um, the child in the womb can hear and can feel and etc. etc. and therefore it's good for you to talk, to, you know, talk to the child, be soothing with the child, um, etc. Now, but they've gone too far. Some I can't. I mean, I shouldn't use the web. You're going to say, why is a priest speaking like that? But I don't know what else to say. Some idiots actually get a tape recorder with maths times tables <laughs> and get some speakers and put them on the, on the stomach. And even though you're laughing and, I don't know, it's, to me it's really painful because that child's going to come out to be a mess, is that for that child to be in the womb and to listen to one times two is two and et cetera, et cetera, then they play other music. They go, I want my child to be like Beethoven. So they play um, classical music, right? Some foolish people want their child to be rock and roll, so they play ACDC. Well, I don't know what they do. And, and these things are really bad, but as well, and that the child picks up the voice of the father, the voice of the mother, and as we'll see later on, it picks up m- much more. Advice for a pregnant mother. The elder told the pediatrician, tell mothers to feel how much good God has honoured them. So he's telling the, this doctor, when women come to you, obviously a Christian a Christian doctor, he says, I mean, you couldn't really do that much here, but he has granted them the privilege to become mothers. So the elder saying to the doctor, tell the mothers, like what I said at the beginning of the talk, that they have been privileged to be given to become mothers. From the moment that they carry within themselves the conceived embryo, they carry a second life. They should speak to their child, they should caress it by rubbing their stomach. The embryo feels these things spiritually. They should pray with much love for their embryo, for, for the embryo. But on the contrary, not only does an infant feel things, but also the embryo feels the lack of his mother's love. Now we're coming. It feels her nervousness. It feels her anger. It feels her aversions, what she's repulsed about. These things would wound the little soul that remains with that person throughout their whole life. So the elders saying that the state of the mother during her pregnancy influences the child such that when that child is born, a lot of those things will stay with the child after birth and through life. Now, I couldn't say that, but if I did, a lot of you would be would, would get upset. That's why even I, I've always believed that. But the, I'm telling you that the elder's saying it. If you respect the elder, you listen. If you don't, you don't. You don't want to listen to me. That, that's okay. I'm not telling you what I'm... I'm telling you what the elder's saying. The spiritual emotions and life of the mother sanctifies her child, even from the time of its conception. The same is also true for the father. The father's state also influences the embryo that's in the, the womb of his wife. Now, I dealt a few, quite a few years ago with a woman. She had a few children there. When she got pregnant, she didn't want to get pregnant because she was a selfish person. And the husband was selfish as well. They didn't want children. And when she got pregnant for the whole nine months, she had an aversion for the child in her womb. She didn't want the child. And that's happened, happens a lot to a lot of women. But it also happens to a lot of men who don't even want the child because of whatever reasons. And when this child was born, that child was very it was a very problematic child. And these these parents went to church, so they actually wanted to try and bring up the child in a Christian way, supposedly, and therefore they never let the child to watch any television, so they never had a television, which was which is which is great. I think for the first seven years or more, there's not necessary those things. They only mix the child up. Then they um, didn't even send it to school because they wanted to homeschool. That was okay. But this was before the child was even ready for school. And the child was a problem. And it was only when she opened up one day and she admitted, which she hid, that she never wanted the child. From the, and from, and from, from day one when it was born, she couldn't take it. So this Influences the child. The second one, she repented over the first one to some degree, not fully, but to some degree. But then she had another one. That child was very placid, very calm child, and she said, "I wanted that one." So, some people might say, "Oh, that's anecdotal. That means it's off. just little examples, and that doesn't, that's not research." We're going to go and research now and do a whole get Sydney Uni to come and do some research on what I'm saying. And I don't need Sydney University to do the research. We have the Holy Fathers. If you want Sydney University to go and do it, go, you go and do it. Maybe pick up some tests on Colgate and see how good they are that they do scientifically proven tests on everything that you can imagine. And most of them are fixed. So the truth of the matter is that the child is influenced from the mother's womb. That might be an argument for some to say, see, abortion's good because it will avoid, and some people do say that, but not the effect in the womb because they don't know about that. But they say, some of those who believe in abortion say, the child is not wanted, and when the child is born, then the mother doesn't want it, and then that causes the child to have psychological problems. They start from birth. We start from back, from from conception. Anyway, they say the child will be born into into an atmosphere where the parents don't want it, parent or parents, and therefore that child will have problems, so it's better to get rid of it, as they say. That's some arguments that they use and other other stupidities. We never abort a child. I was reading the Canons the other night, a book on confession for priests just reading them out of it, and the fathers speak really, really strictly about that sin. There are certain sins which don't allow a person to commune. One of them is that. There's ways around it. Obviously there's adoption or the child can also be taken care of other Christian people who can take care of it until that person comes to their senses. There's always always uh, ways around things. But I'm going to say something which will be a bit startling and some people probably will, will say that I'm modernist or whatever they're going to say. But I firmly believe that when couples are selfish, what I call like they're possessed with some demon of selfishness, don't have any care for anything and anyone but themselves, I would say to them that if if, if they say to me, I don't want to have any children, i go, good, don't have any. I would say that's a a very wise move. Don't do anything bad to destroy life. But other priests, they say people should have children and things like that. But we have to look at the degree of the person's selfishness. Today, especially in our times, people have become more and more selfish and only care about themselves. There's no way that those people at that stage of their life can take care of a child and devote their time and energies to to the child. Postnatal depression is a lot of the times, not fully, there are, other reasons for postnatal, I'm not going to say put it all into one group because people are going to get upset, fatigue and chemicals and things like that. That's why the church wisely says, when a woman has a baby 40 days. All of a sudden now, these um, hospitals are saying now the woman should rest for 40 days. So we've always known that. We've known that for centuries, thousands of years. They're, They're saying it now. 40 days is a good time. For the woman to rest if the woman doesn't rest and comes home to a house full of other children with no help or goes back to work after the child after the child's eight days old or whatever else then that's going to be a whole mess and that woman's going to get extremely tired that's why they say and as i've said to you example before when i went to greece back in 1974 i was very young i was only a teenager about 15 16 and i went to my mother's village and this example I saw didn't understand it, now I understand it as a priest, didn't understand it then. Uh, like a cousin, I don't know what she was, second cousin or something. She had, she had just had a baby. And um, she wasn't living in her house, but she lived was living with her mother and her father and her sisters and other people that were there. And what happened was they had this room dedicated. The room was dedicated for her and the child. All she did was to feed the child, take care of the child, Change the nappies, bathe the child, etc. Everything else was done by her mother, her father, her sister, and all the other couple of hundred relatives that they had over there. So that woman, and I remember when I walked into that place, even I wasn't spiritually attuned to things, but it makes a click now, that it was such a peaceful, peaceful env- environment, and the mother was there with the child without the other pressures. But today what happens is that the woman is not able to get a lot of that time, that help, and they're going back to work or taking care of the house by themselves, etc, etc. And this causes so much fatigue to the woman, plus the baby's waking up and and taking care of other children and going shopping and taking some of the other children to their sports and to the schools and other things if they're older. This is like madness. And then they have what's called a breakdown. They call it postnatal depression. They can call it whatever. But... I'm telling you that a lot of that is fatigue, a lot of that is just stress. Some of you noticed on the other day on um, one of those ABCs or something like that, they had a whole discussion on sleep, which I already mentioned a few months ago. That I believe that sleep is a core, lack of sleep is a cause of a lot of mental problems, etc. And they were on there; they had all their experts speak, and they said that a lot of children with ADDs and ADHDs and all these type of things, they believe now a lot of it comes from lack of sleep. Lo and behold. But before it was like, um, we've got to go and give our child medication. So all these little things, you know. and they noticed that women that were postnatal had similar symptoms, as I said before, to doctors that were working double shifts at the hospital all night. they same type of things. They can't concentrate. They can't think. They're out of it. So women wanted women's liberation. Women wanted a lot of things. But at the end, they lost. And as an abbess said in Greece, this, this holy abbess that I spoke to once, and she says, she said to me, because I was trying to help this woman that, had, that was um, influenced by this women's business, women, what do you call that stuff? Feminism. Uh, she started at university and she was quite possessed with that stuff. And um, so I spoke to this abbess and she said that God wants the woman... To be a queen. In other words, for the woman to be like a queen and for her to be relieved and taken care of and loved and protected properly. And Some of them go, I don't need to be protected. It's fair enough. You don't want to be protected? That's your business. I don't need to be loved. What do you want to be hated? I don't understand what they want. Sometimes you don't even know what they want. They don't want to be loved, they don't want this, they don't want to be obedient, they don't want this, they don't want that. And they think that they're super women and actually say it as they're popping their uppers and they're off, they go to work and they're going here and taking care of children. They go, I can do it. Yeah, maybe you can do it. Maybe sometimes you can do it out of ego. But how many women, and they noticed that in England, 40% or more of women who are chronically depressed and out of it. Because of the amount of work that they're doing. So there's, there's different factors of why a woman doesn't want. Some women don't want to have their children because they're selfish. That's a sin. Some women can't take care of their children because they are um, physically unable to. I've got certain sicknesses. I'm limited okay if you want me to go up there and jump down right I have to go to hospital what does that mean I'm retarded it means I've got limitations I've got health problems I understand my limitations but you can get someone else to come back and jump up and down all night nothing's gonna happen to them see we've got limitations some women have limitations because of certain mental issues that could be it could be because their environment, they, they don't have enough support. There's a lot of reasons for everything and that's what we want to that's what I want to try and do as we do these talks is to actually um, speak about these things a lot. Well, we've, we've, we've touched on that. We heard about what advice the elder gave for the um, uh, for women that are pregnant and there's more to come. The parent, Now that's, where, that, that's enough for today on that one. The parents of a young man visited the elder in great concern. Their son had made a I think I read this last time. Their son had made a suicide attempt for reasons unknown to them. The elder said to them, Your child is a sensitive child. He withered from jealousy and little by little he became a stranger to you. Some parents, because they're very busy and not being observant of their children, don't notice the passions that are in their children. One of the ones is especially jealousy between the siblings. In other words, when when there's one child, suddenly another one comes then that first one will become jealous of the second one, and some people will think, "Oh, ha ha, he he, isn't that cute?" He's jealous, but that's not for ha has. That is actually very dangerous because a lot of those children, if they're not helped while they're young, grow up to be miserable people who will hate that that sibling, whether it's a boy or girl, always be jealous of it, never be calmed down, always think that the parents love them better, hate the parents, etc., etc., etc. And I deal with those people continually. And some of you could be victims of that. And it was because it was left unchecked. That is important. This child was sensitive. And obviously he had some problems with jealousy. Um, maybe with, with, it doesn't say exactly, but it could be for other reasons. But let's just say, I'll insert that jealousy. One of the biggest starts of jealousy is in the family. A lot of emotional build-up. One, one fellow lately, an old fellow, most, I don't know, maybe he's about 50, he was dealing with some problems and he was trying to speak to his, to his sister. And every time they came together, it would just blow up. It would just become like a whole thing. I said, that's because she has built up issues in her. And therefore, it would be really hard for you to be together and if you're not careful, remember the example I said last week of the guy with the baseball bat and the whole blow-up and things like that? That's all that to do with that. That's a lot of built-up because parents did not take care of their children from young to get these issues under control. And we'll see how to do that in a minute. And was left alone and there's so much hate between brothers, sisters, brother and brother, etc. This woman lost her son, old, he was old, 30, 40 maybe, and they didn't know what happened to him. The son was gone. It was him another boy, two brothers. I was told that that's what happened, that one guy just left, vanished. They don't even know what happened to him. My theory without even knowing the family was that I think there was jealousy between the older one with the younger one, And the older one left out of revenge. That was my theory. Well I'm having a theory, is it? So that was my theory. And commemorations took place of prayers for unity. Unity in that family. For this, for this, for this hate to be dissolved from that family of horribleness. Anyway. And then shortly after those prayers were made, lo and behold, the guy comes back. He was living in Queensland. And later on, I found out that there was a jealousy issues there. So sometimes kids do things to revenge their parents to make sure that they suffer. He nearly committed suicide after being rejected by a girl. It needs care in case the sorrow returns. Very few words, the elder says, plenty of prayer are needed for the boy to be healed from his wound. Not advice, not criticism, and so on. Don't say too much. A few careful words, yes, that will strengthen his hope and prayer and pray for that person. Besiege him. In other words, kind of grab him, but not physically, because sometimes children, because they were never love when they're young, they don't want to be touched. They were left a lot in their cots or in a, uh, those schools, what do you call those things, those preschools, a lot of times, like... Ten kids to one teacher. I mean, what care that? What? Even now, they're starting to say that those kids are not getting proper care. Uh, They do need touch. They do need love. They do need affection, physically. But sometimes they don't get that when they grow up, and they want to touch them. And he says, "But embrace him, besiege him with your prayers." And at the end, it says here that the elder was right, and the boy got better. A heartbroken father who had taken his sick child to see the elder, and the elder said, "Your child is fine, but because you had put too much pressure on him to do well at school—is he's another hot topic—he couldn't stand it. He cracked and he suffered a nervous breakdown. So, nervous breakdowns are true. What's a nervous breakdown? Stress, 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 such that the person at the end just can't do anything. Emotional can be stress. You can be physically stressed." That's more of a physical breakdown, which can cause an an emotional breakdown. But also it can be just an emotional breakdown. Person's thoughts, person's feelings all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time, until the person just burns out and breaks down. So you understand the nervous breakdown. And a lot of parents I've seen put a lot of pressure on their children. Coaching, colleges, making sure that they do well. Sports everything i have to say one thing you might say that but that 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 might be why i'm i'm unfit but anyway that's that's another thing uh but i'll tell you one thing because my parents had a shop i was lucky in one way one i was neglected quite a bit and hence why i was able to roam sydney on my own at eight years old traveling trains and buses and everything else but that's neglect which i still can't get over but thanks god nothing happened but another thing is that my mom lost us one sec uh, my parents were so busy that never really applied pressure so when i was young i said to my father because at that stage i wasn't doing very well at school i said oh as a little kid i go i want to be a train driver i like trains i was you know little kids go through obsessions not thomas the tank i never heard about that but just, I uh, just wanted to, to do, so I I want to become a train. You know, my father said to me, whatever makes you happy, do whatever you want. So I was left alone. I was found at school at one stage. It never said anything to me. Now, that's, to me, that's obviously, you've got to have some care for your children. But they were too busy with their shop. So no, no, um, no real thing. But nevertheless, still, I think I prefer that rather than have the, I've seen kids that were neglected to some extent and I've seen kids that were pressured. The ones that are pressured to me are worse. They, they are mentally, emotionally worse, I believe. All the time on them, pressure. And then, a friend of mine at school said, oh, I go to this teacher. I go, yeah, what do you do? He goes, oh, I do maths tutoring and things like that. I go, oh. So went to my father and I go, oh, can I, can I do maths tutoring too? He goes, if you want. He says, yep, I'll give you the money for that. So I went and did the maths tutoring. And from that, I became a maths teacher. Not because my parents actually think. So whereby I was coming last in maths, at the end, I was coming first. Why? Because I wanted to. Now, of course, some parents are going to say, no, no, no. Don't tell my children that. I'm not going to come to the talk anymore. (laughs) Right? If you say that to my children, because then they're going to say that they're not going to listen to me. What's my answer to that? We'll see as time goes on what the elder says. To know how bad it is to pressure. Advice, yes. Give them the availability, yes. I went to university, I went to teacher's college, but that's because I wanted to. That's it. And that's, you know, you can encourage a child, you can maybe apply a little bit of pressure at times, but when the child doesn't want, I was never sent to Brownies, whatever. Not Brownies. That's what we mean. Boy Scouts and other stuff, and Greek dancings, and all the other, all the other stuff that exists. And to some degree, I never went to Greek school either, and uh, which probably shows from the way I read today. But it doesn't matter because I believe that when I do something today, I do it because I want to do it, not because someone else wants me to do it. Someone else wants me to do it. I just say, stop, don't, don't do that. And a lot of children today, as they're growing up and become adults, even 30, 40 years old, you see them, they're going, look, they don't know, they don't know what to do, they don't know what to go there, did they go there, because there, they haven't got the pressure on them. Very bad. Well, says the father of this boy, philosopher, obviously, How come I was able to stand so much war and so much deprivation when I was a child? We've all heard those stories. How people lived off the herbs of the the mountains, bit of bread, if they had some, and they went through a lot of pressure. And obviously we know that a lot of our parents, when they came from overseas, my father used to say, when he came, he came in 1935 from Greece, and he and he um, came when he was around 15, 16, he had three jobs. Today, you'd be lucky if you can get a child to do a third of a job. And they just can't work much. They can't listen. And of course, we know that a lot of people went through wars. We've never gone through wars here. However, this is what this man said, he goes, you're saying that my child can't take pressure. Well, how come I could take the pressure? And I went through a whole war. And that's true. They did. They actually. A lot of people that lived in the cities starved. They they died. We said that before. The ones that lived in the village used to, the Germans used to come and steal their food. And my mother said to me that they. She had her job was to go into the into the mountains and get the, what we call horta, which is like weeds, special weeds. Boil them. A lot of times no oil because the Germans took the oil, so they suffered. That's true. So they should be more an excuse not to take much, but yet they can take more. What's the answer to that? Are you interested, Lauren? And I can see you're interested. Your chin's up high and you're concentrating. That's good. And the answer is the following. And the old answer you lived in another age. What does that mean? I mean, that's it. That, that, that's what the book says. You lived in another age, and that's why I do these talks. I want to expand. What does it mean? Obviously, he lived another age. He lived during the Second World War. The kids that they lived during these times. So, elaborate on it, because I've actually pondered this question for many, many, many years. And I've come to the conclusion that today, people can't take much at all. The young, especially the, the generations. Even 30-year-olds and 40-year-olds, that's why their marriages don't work. They can't take care of the children. They can't do hardly anything. That's true. And that's why priests have to be careful. Yes, it's a commandment to have children, but be careful that you're not forcing someone to have children who at the end might kill them or completely damage them and do other, and other bad things because today people can't take much at all. And the reason being is because of the, the society, especially technology. In particular, the, uh, uh, the, the television, that thing of the child being there and being brainwashed, it's inactive. Sexual sins, which were obviously around during those times, but not to the extent of today. Pornography, the internet, all these. This is what St Nicodemus says of Athos in his book on confession. He says, all the sins are bad, which we're going to see in a minute, but the sins, of the, the, the sexual sins have a really very bad effect on the person's body and soul it is the worst sins and because that's rampant today and people have burnt uh, people are burnt out because of that sin and not to mention drugs which have which've have, you know really depleted people people and people have not developed emotionally due to the television due to the fact that parents were always working, so therefore there was no one home, hardly, or they were given to strangers. So emotionally, the child has not developed. It cannot take much at all. And that's what the elder says. And that's why the elder, if you notice, his advice to people up to the time that he lived in 991 was always soft advice. It wasn't one of harshness. Not telling them, you must do big prayers. Or you must do long fast. Or you must do this, you must do that. He didn't do that because he knew that a lot of the people, especially the younger generation, couldn't take that much. It doesn't mean they're not going to fast. It means we have to do things gently and understand that the Christians of today are not the same as the Christians even of 40 years ago. They are weaker. And that's why the church has dropped its standards quite a bit, not in a sense of that. We still know what sin. But before, when someone used to come and confess a sin which may warrant five, six, seven years of our communion, and now the priest might only give a few months or a year or whatever because the fact is that it's just not the same. In the villages, for example, where a lot of you were brought up, you never had posters of pornographic material everywhere such that it would make impossible to do us to actually have a spiritual life, just about. But now it's everywhere. And the internet has killed a lot of souls. One question before we go to the break. Andrea? Nothing? Not yet? No one? I don't know. It was really cool um, yeah, especially... Um the pressure. I, I even heard about um, some people, for example, have been really like pressure during high school, and then when they go to university, and suddenly there is no pressure. Suddenly they're on their own, and often parents they send. Fail. Well, it can be from parents. Or from parents send their children to private schools yeah. because the private schools have better standards, supposedly. What the private schools actually do is what's called spoon feeding. Spoon feeding means that they they. They tell the children how to study, what to do, do this, do that, and really build them up such that they do well in the HSE because the teachers are always behind them to, you know, to get their records up to show that they're really good schools. Once those children go to the universities or colleges, they a lot of them flunk. And the reason why they, they fail is because there's no one behind them anymore. And they've actually, I think I've heard that they've found that uh, private, that the ones who kind of stay in university, I went to state school. One of the worst. And, um, and I had kids that, came, that went to my school, that became doctors and solicitors, etc, etc. And if you say, oh, the teachers helped them. Actually, the teachers didn't help them at all. That's one reason I want to become a teacher, so I won't be like them. Horrible people who never helped the children at all, even to have any interest at all. But these people actually really motivated themselves, and they studied, and they did well, and they got into whatever they wanted to get into, and they passed their courses because they were self-motivated. But when you go to private schools, you're not very much self-motivated because there it's the spirit of the whole school. Go, 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 you know, this is what's going to be in the exam. Um, This is how you write this essay. This is how you do this. Give us your essay. Then they all the time do that. I'll check it for you. I'll do this. I'll do that. And the teachers are there because that's what they're paid for. Because that school wants results so they can say to everyone we so they can say to everyone look we charge 20,000 a year but that's why we charge it. We charge 20,000 a year because we can make your kids go well in the HSC but file at uni I'm oh, sorry I left that that was an extension. They, they just said the first part. we can make your kids do really well in the high school certificate that's the final exams and then in fine print but know that they will probably file at university because we're not going to be there to help them. And at the university, the lecturers aren't gonna go there and spoon feed them. So that's what happens and that's a problem. So that's your comment. Since we're talking about spoon feeding, some of you that are parents, some children, as they grow up, they can't speak properly. And they go like that. And um, I say to the parents, like, um, do you feed them any solids? And they said, um, not really, we feed them a lot of soups. I said, yeah, because by feeding them soups and not giving them solid food, you're actually not exercising their jaws, this is true, and the child is not strengthened in the muscles, which is quite obvious, so because they're giving them soups all the time, because it's easy, throw a few carrots in, a bit of meat, and that's the end of it, and then make this whole pot of soup, which lasts in the freezer for about three months, That that, that way they don't have to make any other food. And give their children soup, soup, soup. And at the end of the thing, the child speaks with a slur and can't speak very well, and it's because of the muscles. So that's what's called spoon-feeding. And plus a lot of parents, because they want to hurry up with the child and don't want to have any mess, they actually spoon-feed the children, continue. They do it themselves, such that the child at five years old sits there and wants to be fed. (laughs) Right? That's spoon-feeding. That's just to help you understand what educational spoon-feeding is. Break time. Okay, we'll just continue on a few more things. Two comments that some people said, but they were embarrassed to put their hands up. So they told me to tell you the stories. Um, but, you know, it's good when you give feedback because those examples that they said help. And I like when other people say it because it actually has, has an effect that, you know, when you hear it from other people as well. But now I forgot the story. Can you just, just just have just a little bit and it'll remind me. Just, A few words. Which one? Ah, yes, that's right. Valentina said about the Japanese that she um, read that in Japan, as you know, the Japanese are very competitive people and they really put a lot of pressure on their children. And what's happened there, apart from the fact that many of them actually commit suicide, that uh, they they can't take, they actually break, they break down to such an extent that they close themselves off from the world. They don't leave their rooms. Their parents basically just pass foods through them. They can't even hardly have any contact with their parents, and basically they are broken down. This is the uh, this can be effects that we can cause children when we apply a lot of pressure. And as soon as I hear parents talk to me about this pressure, I become very alarmed and scared. I actually did I become terrorized and scared because I know. That that can have a ill effect. Now we might hear stories that some people were pressured; they did really well. Maybe they did. We don't know the long-term effect, the long-term effects of those people. Some people show signs of um, problems later on when they get older, when they're forty or fifty. And a lot, you know, it's, it's not good. Some some people don't have the ability to be able to go on and do studies. And you've got to be careful, we've said this before, that some parents want their children to become doctors and this, but their, their children can't even add. They can't add or subtract. And the other story was, I've forgotten is it, it? Uh, yes, one fellow here who's a teacher, we used to teach at those colleges, you know, James Ann's colleges, they do a lot of coaching, very intense, mostly Asians, that send their children there to prepare, especially for selective schools, or just to also prepare for hsc or school certificate or whatever and um this particular teacher who was there doing the you know doing those lessons very intense lessons said that there was a young boy korean boy there and that he was always half asleep or falling asleep and um he the the teacher asked him what's wrong and just says i'm tired i just want to sleep i'm tired i'm tired i'm tired so what was happening with this person what, what he told the teacher if i remember right was, apart from his ordinary school, he's got to go to the college every, Nini every afternoon and do another three, four hours. And that's separate probably to his music and everything else that he has to do. And the child kept on saying, I'm tired, I'm tired, I'm tired. And you know, we are pushing, and I'm gonna say it straight out, we are pushing children to commit suicide and to a large extent. There's other issues as well for it, that's one of them, beware. children are not the same as what they were years ago. And you can see the result in that they can't even hold down, a lot of these people can't hold down jobs, they can't hold marriages, and they can't bring up children when they grow up. So, you know, be very careful. The elder talked about mixed-up children, children who have psychological problems because their parents had a bad relationship with one another, so there isn't a good atmosphere in the home. So the elder says that when parents do not have a good relationship, which is important, that their children become, as he calls it, mixed up. He talked about mixed up children of mixed up parents. Indeed it happened that I myself took some of these parents of children with problems to see the elder. He said that these children already had problems. This mix up, the elder said, is from the womb, not later on, from the womb. When the, mother's, when the child's mother was pregnant, she didn't try to put her life in order to become peaceful, to pray and to partake of the mysteries of the church, to commune, to confess, etc. Imagine a mother that's pregnant and confesses, making sure that whatever is burning her, communes often, which is very important when, the, when, when a woman's pregnant, takes holy water every morning, takes a bit of Prospero and eats it every morning does prayers for herself, for her her child, her unborn child. This is going to have obviously positive effects and the opposite has negative effects. I remember that he once advised the mother of five children to stay away from her house for a month. In other words, the elder said to a woman who had five children not to go home, not to be with her children. Her behaviour was such that her children would fight amongst themselves every day. They couldn't reason with their mother because the mother was beyond logic. So they wouldn't, so they would take their anger out on one another because they were frustrated. Children need first to be able to communicate with their parents, not the priest, not as some go-to psychologists, even though they have they have their purposes when things become extreme. <laughs> But, but children need to first communicate with their parents. If they learn to open up to their parents, they will learn to open up to the priest. If they don't open up to the parent, they're not going to open up to the priest because they're not used to it. Because of his great discernment, he would treat each situation accordingly. He didn't deal with people uniformly. In other words, how he treated One person was different to how it treated another. Each person's different. There's no formulas like in maths or in science. In spiritual life, this is what the gift of discernment means. You've got people who come to you with situations and you have to know what to say. And a lot of times, there's nothing written on that because every person is an individual and therefore needs individualized Advice, like information which is for them. And that's why I tell you, that's why you might get a person, two people, three people, I think they even say here, ten people would could ask him about the same matter and he would give them ten different answers. This is called pastoral individualization. In other words, you must give advice according to the circumstances. So a woman, for example, comes to me and she's got problems with her husband. Another woman comes to me, and she's got problems with her husband. I might say to one person, if I give the right advice, I haven't got this, but we have to try and sometimes give advice, and that's why when a priest gives advice, he has to give it with fear that that advice could cause a catastrophe if it's wrong. The priest needs to pray hard beforehand to know what to say, and always be careful, and always. Be very, very careful not to put your own will into the priest's own will into the situation. But obviously this elder had the gift to the fullest and a lot of priests today don't have that gift. However, if someone goes to the priest with humility, then God can make things happen because of the humility, even if the priest makes a mistake because you went with humility to ask for the priest's advice. You went to God's priests. And I've seen this happen, even with myself, I've given wrong advice, but I've also, other other people have gone to priests where they've been given the wrong advice, but because they went with humility, God worked it out. But anyway, we've got to be very careful. So, one woman, you might say to the person, say nothing to your husband, and to another woman, you might say, you say this, this, and this, why is the difference? Well, there could be a number of reasons, one of them is that, one, that the husband's so aggressive that he could actually um, hit her. The other person, he might be in a, in a position where he can take a few words. There's, every situation's different. One woman might have two children, another woman might have one child or, none, or not, no children. Everything's different. If one woman goes to speak to the husband and has a fight, then it terrorises the children. So therefore, that comes into effect. There's so many factors. You know how medicine, you go to doctors, and a lot of people, including myself, have gone to doctors for years and they just, just, a lot of times they just don't get things right, a lot of times they're wrong. Because there's so many factors, is it the kidney, is it the liver, is it this, is it that, it can be so many factors and there's just so hard and that's why people can be in hospital for days on days to try and work out what's wrong with them. And some of you that have watched that show, that uh, house top of, uh, I think it's called, where that's supposedly the whole thing of analysing. What is the problem with the person? And they go into all these tests and tests and tests and tests, etc. But for some reason, he always gets everything right. But that's uh, that's what TV is about. But in um, in in real life, a lot of times you walk out of the hospital, you don't know. Spiritual life is is harder than that. Much harder. Now, how does a priest know what to answer? How does the elder know what to answer? It has to be with God's grace. Elder Porphyrios used the word mixed up, which I mentioned earlier a lot, when he wanted to say that someone had internal problems. Indeed, he used that word when, he, uh, when the subject of heresies was brought up. Uh, he said that all the mixed up people joined heresies. That's excellent as well. Also, a lot of mixed up children become orthodox. Now, you might say, what's that about? Another modernist approach, maybe. What does it mean by mixed up children join heresies? Mixed up children are, as it says, mixed up people are mixed up. They actually don't know what's going on a lot of times and they're easily influenced. A lot of times they've had no love. So if someone shows them a bit of supposedly love, they believe it and they run. I've said this a bit last time. Orthodox priests have to be careful because a lot of times the some young people that come to them or, or older people are also mixed up and damaged. And what happens is when the when the priest shows a little bit of attention, the child the, the person, whether it's a young adult or a teenager or an older person, becomes attached, becomes like begins to worship the priest and and it's because the priest takes the place of their father or their mother or whatever love they never got. And so therefore the priest, if he's not having got the discernment, can think, oh, this person's zealous because whatever I tell him to do, he does. But if he got mixed up with um, some guru from India, he would do the same. He would do exactly what they were telling him. Uh, but, you're, but, but we're orthodox, so therefore it's good. No, not necessarily good. You've got to be careful because some people are so emotionally disturbed that if that's what they think, later on, when you try to put the brakes and say, you know, um, when you start to notice that, oh, these people have got some emotional problems and you've got to try and make a distance because they're becoming sickly, what happens is that they can become very, very aggressive and crazy, and begin to slander, can um, do damage to you physically, etc., etc. Damage to your property, damage to your. Because you know they got the wrong, they got their wires crossed. that what they believed. The same thing happens with the opposite sex, and some of you have experienced it. You might say hello, a girl might say hello to a guy, and then the guy believes that that's a clue, that's a cue that. That she likes him and then all of a sudden this person's made up a fantasy that this person is in love with them. And opposite, the same thing. Then later on when the person says, I'm just a friend or I just said hello to you, the person can become very nasty. So there are people who are mixed up. What do you do? Some people might say, so what do you do? Throw them away. You don't throw them away, but you must approach these people with a lot of prayer for God to heal them and to help you exactly to know what to do with them and not to make a mistake, because that can cause them, some of them even commit suicide out of spite, to get back at you. Once this person said to me, he was a sport person. um, And his father, whatever, as soon as he would, you know, go into his room and close the door, he would wait for his father to come and knock on the door and try to get him to come out was an, an adult. This person was around 20 years old. And he was a sport person and um, he wanted me to do the same to him. He wanted me, that every time he was upset, for me to run to him. And I said to him, I can't do that because you just snap your fingers every second. I'm going I'm to be all confused. And, and then he said to me, and he got so upset that he said the following. Okay, just to show you that I've got some experience in these matters. I'm going to come outside your house and I'm going to hang myself on a tree, and I'm going to wait. Th- no, then you're going to come out in the morning and see me there and say, "Whoa, what did I do?" That's blackmail. See, and that person is emotionally sick, and that's just some of them. I've also been told they're going to. I'm going to be chopped up as well. By the way, another person who didn't get his way. Said that I, got a, I, got, I had a vision. I said, what was your vision? They said, I had a vision that I chopped you up into piss with an axe. And you might say, oh, this is very funny. But it's not. People aren't disturbed today. People are not well. And you have to pray to God. I personally prefer that those people don't come my way because I can't really, I don't know how to handle those people. Maybe there's other priests that can handle them. I can't. I used to feel guilty about that and go, oh, maybe I'm not a very good priest because I'm not really handling these people very well. So I rang up this abbess in Greece, a very holy woman, a spiritual child of elder of friends from America, and um, she was an abbess there in Greece. She's passed away now, very holy woman, woman of prayer. And I said to her, I don't know why, but I can't handle these people when they come to me when they when they got those type of problems. I can't. And she goes, oh, I can't handle them either. She said, can't handle them either. She goes. It's got to be very careful. Mixed up people. One day they can be Orthodox and you see them in church and doing their prostrations and kissing your hand and and lighting candles. And the other day they can be at Mecca. You don't even know. Throwing stones at that object that they do. We mustn't take advantage, and you people as well, you mustn't take advantage out of zeal thinking that you're going to help someone because they have emotional problems. You might not know they've got those problems, and you might say to, you might say to them, oh, would you like to come to a talk? Or would you like to come to this? Or would you like this? Would you like?" And the person shows interest, and then we begin, out of our pride, to think, oh, this person's going to convert. It's going to be because of me. I'm going to help them. I'm going to help them. But you're not knowing... That that person actually could be quite disturbed. Remember what I said to you once I, I once I when I was a lay person, I told someone to go to um, confession. And out of my zeal and stupidity, I didn't think to myself to watch out. You know, be, you know, be careful because some some people you can tell about confession and they can become momentary, like, like you know, in an instant they can become zealous and they go, I want to go and confess. And I don't, a lot of times I don't like that because you don't know where these people are coming from. So this person, with some encouragement for me, went to confess. And the priest was quite good, and he, as he should have, he asked her some questions, and one of them was whether she had indulged in premarital sex and things like that. And then later on she came to me and then she said that, um how dare he and this and that and that but she never went. So she never even knew what repentance was. I don't even know why she went to say once that what that she stole when she was a young girl hairband. Like what was the what was the reason why she wanted to go? I don't even know. So that's it. Because I didn't know. Why did I encourage her? So I encouraged her and at the end that person became my worst enemy. She hated me, and she hated the priest, and then she hated the church. Because she was not ready. Because of her ego. Confession is not where you get someone and force them. Confession is, when a per- and we're going to read that, if we get to it, where the elder says, it's got to come, actually we will do that because that was very important. Once the elder was travelling from Thessaloniki to Yerisau, he was on his way to Mount Athos. Yerisau is where you catch the boat. Boat. When he arrived at the bus station, a seat could not be found for him on the bus. He was obliged to travel standing while some youths were sitting down by him, joking between themselves. In other words, ignoring him that he was an elderly person, that he was a priest, monk. An elderly gentleman told off the youths. Because they saw an aged higher monk standing up, and they st- stayed in their seats and didn't care. So this man said, "You should be ashamed of yourselves, and this is a, this is a you know, like a priest, and etc., etc." Then the then the um, he suggested that one of them give up his seat for the priest. They stayed in their seats, unmoved and motionless, didn't care. Then the gentleman, full of rage, got up and offered his own seat to the elder and said, you know, whatever, elder, sit in my seat. The elder thanked him but did not take his seat. He travelled standing up all the way. And I tell you, that's a, um, that would make, that was probably a couple of hours trip if I remember right. I think the boat, the, anyway. There's another place where you can catch the boat as well, to Manifos, which I think is around three hours. I think that one's closer. He was probably on his feet for two hours or more. At the end of the journey, the gentleman asked the elder why he did not take up the seat he had offered him. The elder said, you didn't do the right thing by telling off the kids. They acted badly, yes. They left an elderly higher monk standing and they didn't offer their seat of their own accord, didn't offer it because they wanted to offer it. as they should have. Following that, if they had got up because you told them off and, and I would have sat in their seat, or if I accepted the seat that you offered me, the kids would not have realised they actually did something that was bad. Their conscience wouldn't bother them because it's like, oh, I was forced to get up because they didn't offer it themselves. Or, oh, well, he's seated there, the, that man gave him the seat. Who cares now? Let's not worry about him. Maybe they were getting a bit bothered, maybe their conscience... Maybe they were embarrassed because they didn't want their friends to go. Oh, you're a goody goody because you gave the seat and all this other stupidities that they do. On the contrary, they would feel justified. However, not having been, however, now having been standing up for so long, and and I stood in front of them, their own conscience has got up, accused them in silence for the way they acted. In other words, their conscience would have bothered them, as hard as they are. Something would have bothered them. Maybe. Maybe not all of them, but some of them, you know, because some kids don't have a conscience, depends on how they've been brought up. A person can only be saved like that. This is it, this is what I'm gonna say. When he when he repents, not because someone has accused him externally, but because his conscience has accused him internally. Now let's let's look at that. A person is saved not because you told them that. Uh, you shouldn't be doing those sins, or you shouldn't be doing that, things like that. But it should come that the person themselves realises that what they're doing is wrong, they feel guilty. And that's when salvation starts, not when you're forced. Some children, or adults, or sorry, teenagers wear inappropriate clothes, especially Girls, they wear inappropriate clothes, low cuts, etc., inappropriate dresses. And the parents accuse them, especially if they're Christian parents, expect them to feel guilty. But a lot of times they don't feel guilty and they become worse. Now what do you do? You say nothing. Of course you say something gently, not harshly, gently. And pray and leave the rest to God. But you can't keep on being on the person. And a lot of times we make mistakes, we go up to us and say, oh, you shouldn't be smoking, that's a sin. You shouldn't be uh, looking at the internet on inappropriate images, that's a sin, and that's a sin, and that's a sin. Now some of you might say, but you are doing that today, you're saying that certain, that certain things are sins. I said earlier on that abortion is the worst, is a very bad sin. So what's the difference? The difference is that you people came here, so you're coming here for a reason and it's my job to say it but also giving you hope that obviously whatever we've done God forgives that's different than for me to go up to a person even if they're orthodox who has nothing to do with the church and scolding them and saying to them that what they've done is wrong and expecting them to feel guilty about it I can if God helps me and enlightens me to say to the person a nice way try to go around it and try and tell them that that's a bad sin, if I can, without the person reacting. <laughs> so the main thing here is that people go to confession a lot of times because someone has reprimanded them or they read something in the book maybe and it says that that is wrong. And that's external, which is a start, but it's got to be internal where the person really feels guilty from within and that's why when people say to me I want to confess even when they say to me they want to confess to me it's like my eyes open up in shock because I don't know where this person's coming from what why do they want to confess now you might say but the priest just confess everyone well that's that's their business I'm not the same plus I don't confess anyone anyway anymore because I find too, too, too great but in general I like the person to be calm, think about things. There's no need to run immediately to confess. That's not a necessity immediately. I find that sometimes when the person waits a while, reads, prays a bit, goes to church, and as Elder Porfirio says, the grace begins to touch their hearts so that slowly, slowly themselves they begin to feel that what they've done is wrong and they want to go to confession. Today, I would have to say that a lot of people are doing great sins and are completely confused of what's going on. And as a result of that, in some ways that's good for them to do confession, especially if they don't hardly go to church. But we know that a lot of the Greek priests, even here in Sydney, who I know would say to their spiritual children, you can commune, you don't have to confess each time. Because there are what's called pardon, pardonable sins, and there's sins which are greater, and this and that. And that's why when we read our morning prayers, and our night prayers especially, we read the, where it says there, If I have sinned by judging someone, if I have sinned by eating too much, if I have looked at someone lustfully, if I have had bad thoughts about someone, if I have had jealousy, if I have had this, if I have had that, oh God, forgive and absolve me from all these sins. Gone their everyday sins, sins that we struggle with. You can't, every time you have a bad thought, run to the spiritual father and say, oh, father, today I had a thought of jealousy. And I would say to them, today you had a thought of jealousy. How many Once. We have thoughts of jealousy passing through our minds and hearts continually. Continually. I had a hateful thought. That happens all the time. Demons uh, uh, fight us, but also from our own passions. You can't run to confession every time. If you've slandered someone, you've got to fix it up and confess it. And unless you fixed it up, you can't have communion. Even if the priest reads your prayer, you can't have communion. You stole something; you've got to pay it back. If you don't pay it back, then you can't commune. There are there are many many things, as we as we read in the in the examples of the elder, a man and a woman came to confess to him, and. As he went to read the prayer, he was enlightened, something that we don't hardly get a lot of times, but he was enlightened and the, and he had a thought that the elder realised that this man had a sin which he can't be forgiven unless he fixes it up. And the elder says, what have you done? And the man says, nothing. I go to church, I, haven't I know you've done something and I feel I cannot read you the prayer of absolution unless you fix this sinner. So the elder started asking him questions and helped him to understand. And what was it? This man was a, was a boss. He had some kind of company. And someone slandered one of the workers. And this boss believed it. And he threw him out. And said, you're not going to work anymore. And the elder said, that's wrong what you did. Because the man didn't do that, what that guy said. He's innocent. You threw out an innocent man for nothing. Go back to the village, wherever they were from, and you will publicly say that this man did not, I think it was something that he stole, did not steal that, and that you made a mistake, and that you give him back his job, and then you come back to me, I'll read you the prayer, then you can commune. So when you're troubled with things, when you're having a lot of problems, go open up yourself to the priest, because a lot of times we could be doing sins that are really serious that we could be that could have lost the grace of God. And we might say to ourselves, but I haven't done something which is serious. I haven't done an abortion. I haven't stole something. I haven't done this. Then how come I don't get peace? And the reason is because we can be doing very, very bad sins in our, in our hearts And by going to confession and receiving that grace, we can actually be freed of it. We don't know a lot of times. That's why in that confessional book, I have to say, that St. Nicodemus goes through and says that there are a lot of sins in there. Not necessarily those ones there, but they're in our hearts. Even hate for someone. When you go to confession and when you want to commune, if you've got hate for someone, you can't commune. That's why the elders say, at least the priest should say, do you have in your heart anything evil against someone? If the answer is yes, you go, you can't commune, you have to fix that up. A lot of times we hate people and we're not conscious of it. That explains why we're kind of lost grace and we're all over the place. And it's like in a way we have cut off from God. We are cut off from the church. What does St. John, the theologian, say? When you hate your brother, you're a murderer. Two examples that will help you to understand. One, sounds like it's got nothing to do with it, but it helps you to understand the subconscious. There was a young woman who, in some discussions that I had with herself and some other people, this girl or woman, Never did the HSC. Didn't finish high school. That, that, that's okay. But the other two did, and they went to university. Every time the word HSC was mentioned, the air would thicken. Her face would become distorted. Every time the word university was mentioned, again the the air would thicken. It's just really horrible, like a experience that is. And her face would become disturbed. I knew, of course, that there was something wrong, so I spoke to her, and she said that she feels nothing. I go, but didn't you feel it? This is in my younger years. Didn't you feel the fact that you became disturbed when we mentioned the word HSC, the high school certificate? And she said, I don't feel anything. Then I thought she's lying, because people do lie, or they don't want to feel the pain, so they just say, I haven't got it. And I said, how about the university? He goes, no. I go, are you jealous because they've gone to university maybe? He goes, no, I don't care. I don't want to go. I, I, I didn't want to go to university. I didn't want to go to agency. whatever. As time went on, after about a year of spiritual life, see the spiritual life, how it's important? As time went on and she began to struggle more and more and more and open up more and confess and commune and pray and read and things like that, She began to discover, which was my theory in the first place, that she had an unseen wound in her heart that she wasn't even aware of. But it started to come out and then she realised what it was. When she was young and she was studying at school, her mother would say to her that you're going to be nothing. And look at your, look at that person and their child done the HSC and that person done the HSC and look at those friends of the family, they've done the HSC and they've gone to university and they've done this, they've done, and you're going to become nothing. You're off, you're dumb, you're stupid, you're an idiot, you're this, you're that. That's what she heard for many, many years. But the wound that she experienced from her mother was so bad that she didn't want to even feel it. What did she do? pushed it in to her heart, that's called suppression, such that she didn't even remember it anymore, she didn't feel it anymore. But we felt it. And the other people that were there said to me, "Is this my imagination, every time we mentioned the word high school certificate or university, she gets this really horrible spirit on her, going, I felt it too. And it took about a year later on of helping, 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 that she actually opened up this wound that was in her heart, which later on, with the help of the church, by the way, she was, in my opinion, free of it, or maybe she might have a little bit of that, 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 that doesn't matter. But in point of she was here and she could now hear the word HSC and you know, she didn't care, she was happy with what she was doing. Now, why'd I mention that example? Once a man took a friend of his to see the elder. I had that story, but it was a bit long, I wasn't going to do it, but I'll do it from my memory if I can. And so they walk in together and the spiritual child of the elder said, Elder, I brought my friend here. You know, here he is. And the elder said, you know, whatever. And then the friend started saying, the one that was, um, I make up names, John is the spiritual child of the elder. He used to go to the elder at the time and say um, Jim or something. He's..." a person who hadn't been before. So Jim said to the elder, Ah, elder, John is such a great person. He is a really wonderful friend. He is this, he's that, he's that, he's that, he's that, he's that, he's that. The elder didn't say anything, just remained quiet, which he did sometimes, not because of something bad. He sometimes remained silent because God didn't enlighten him at the time. He also did that. A lot of times people would come to him and goes, Elder, what have you got to say to me? He goes, God's given nothing. I don't I don't know. Come back another day and maybe God will give me something. I don't have anything. So it wasn't necessarily that the person's bad because he was quiet. When John, the spiritual child of the elders, went back one day and the elders said, come here, I want to tell you something. He goes, well, the boy that you brought to me, the, your friend, he hates you. He re, he, hate, he has a lot of hate. I saw it in his heart. And then the John said, "How can that be? He's he's my friend, and I've never ever seen any signs of him to hate me." And then the Elder said, "Believe me, I'm telling you, he doesn't know it. He doesn't know that he has hate for you, but he does. He's jealous of you, and he hates you." The John got very John got very upset and felt like, obviously, you know, saying to the guy, you know, what a hypocrite, you make out you're my friend and then you're not, and this, this and that. And deep down you hate me, but he, he was, he obviously prayed to get the hate out of him, to get the dislike out of him, to get the revenge out of him, because that's what we all feel. So someone says something bad about me, I react. Why? I'm, because I'm full of passions, same as you people. Unless some of you are holy and you don't react, tell me the secret. But for me, I react. And we have to pray and ask God to give us the grace to release us from that demon which is wanting to go against the other person for going against us. So this person obviously prayed because he was a spiritual child of the older, so he he knew what to do. He knew that he had this thing in him of revenge. So he prayed and God released him. And then he thought to himself, I'm not going to say anything to him. It's in him. It's suppressed. He doesn't even know it. Why should I say anything to him and just prayed, prayed for him, for him to be cured? What I'm trying to say there is that a lot of times we don't know that we've got certain issues with us within ourselves. We don't know that we've got what's called uh, hidden passions. That's why Prophet David in the Psalms Lord, show me my secret sins. Show me what's in me. We could be doing sins that are cutting us off from the church, but we don't know it. But what we do is we run. When we feel something's wrong, run and go to the priest and say something's not right. Maybe the priest will be enlightened. Maybe he can help you. Or maybe through you keep on going there, God will then show you what this is to help you to come to heal it. And that's what the elder says, that these unresolved problems, these suppressed things, are healed through the church. Even things from our childhood, they are healed through the church. A lot of these neuroses that people have, compulsive, anxiety, all these problems and fears and anxieties and phobias and all these things, a lot of them come from when we are young, either from our mum's womb or even later on. And you say, well, it's not our fault. Well, it may not be fully our fault, but that's it. That's, that's what happened. But in the church, a lot of that can be healed. And if God decides to leave certain of those things there, it's good. Another, uh, another example to help you to understand what I'm saying. Because, you see, you, know, you can say these things intellectually and then people don't understand. I like to use examples. I think it comes from the teaching thing. You know, When you teach something, you can't just say, like a, a theory, you've got to actually give examples. so the person can understand what the formula is about. You don't just teach a formula and say, this is it, do this, and that's the end of it. That's why I, I can't help it, that's, that's how I do it here. I, I, think, I think you will um, appreciate it. The example is as follows. Once a person, this will help you, because I know a lot of you have got problems, I've got problems, all of us have got mental issues. We've got physical problems, but we also have mental problems. It's, it's without a doubt we all have issues, anxieties, fantasies, compulsive uh, disorders. There's a lot of things we all have. Some of us have a little bit, some of us have more. Some people hide it. No one knows about it. I can't remember the story. Anyway, a person went to a country, say, another another country. and. He was staying at a priest's house. The priest said, you can stay here. I'll show you around, take you to the monasteries and show you places and things like that. So this particular person had OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, if that's the correct words for it. He didn't like certain noises. Okay, that was his problem. He didn't like that. When he would hear that, he just used to, just, that's it. Why? Something from his youth, didn't like it. So he couldn't take people chewing, making noises. Didn't like the whole concept of the saliva mixing with the food. That's his problem. So... The priest began to notice it because when they'll be eaten together, the person would run off. <laughs> and the priest said, what are you doing? He goes, but because this person was open, he goes, I, I, um, I've got a problem. He goes, what's the problem? He goes, I, um, I can't hear the chewing. It bothers me. So it was very difficult because the priest had to try and train his mouth not to make noises, which was very hard. And as soon as he would make the noises, the person would become angry, would become aggressive, to the priest, like really aggressive. Because that's what that, that that's what those disorders do. Which I believe, by the way, a lot of these disorders come from our childhood. We weren't given the proper love. We weren't. We were. We had certain fears. Remember that example I told you of. The little boy that saw some kids put a uh, light a fire and blew up a car somewhere in, when they, they came to the monastery once, went for a little walk and then it was in the night and uh, these little kids are very young and they saw some louts or something throw, I don't know, they blew up the car, I must have been an insurance job, and um, they ran off, right? And then um, the kids started crying, see, because they hadn't seen that before. When parents are busy, they go, that's okay, don't worry about it. But you don't do that. I said, no, stop. We're going to sit down and we're going to talk to the children and soothe them while they're crying and hold them and hug them and kiss them and assure them and tell them that that's happened, this and that, and the children were okay. If we didn't do that, that, that experience would have stayed in them and caused them to have anxiety and have problems later on. These are all unresolved things. You must see, you must see to your children's needs and fears and anxieties and problems. Another child had a problem with flies because the mother hated them. So because the mother hated them, at the end he would go, he will start crying ah, scream whenever there would be a fly. How can that person go through society? Right? Like the person with the chewing. He wouldn't be able to work because he can't be in a, he can't be in a canteen with people. So the, um, the other person had to think about the flies. So what, did, so what did I say to the parents to do? I said, get a book on flies. Get a book, make sure it's there, and then sit down and explain to the child the fly, this, that, and and soothe the child, and and, and, and. and at the end the child didn't really have a problem with the flies. But if the parents, which they were a bit incompetent, didn't just ignored him and go, ah, oh, he'll grow out of it, grow out of it, grow out of it, then a lot of times they don't grow out of it, it becomes really strong in them. So back to the, the, the munching. So the priest found this particular thing quite unbearable. It was causing too much trouble. And uh, anyway, one day they sat down, the priest and the fellow there, and they were, uh, the priest was talking about, he opened up a book on St. Theophan the Recluse, which is a spiritual book, Epistles of Saint Elphand the Requist, and started reading them, and the young fellow was listening. And then the priest says, "Do you know what that epistle means?" And the and the and the young fellow said, "I don't know. I think maybe." Goes, "What do you think?" So the the young fellow started to open up. What he felt was 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 the epistles meant, and the priest was like that, was shocked. And then he said, how about this epistle? What does that mean? And the young fellow was talking about it a bit. And then the priest says, but how do you know? But how do you know these things? Oh, sorry, I forgot to tell you. The priest actually said before that occasion another day, he said, which was quite stupid, he goes, may God give me anything but that problem that that you have. What a stupid prayer. But anyway, the priest actually said, may God give me anything but not to have the, the problem that you've got. So, the, In the eyes of the priest, that problem was the disaster of the disasters, you know? So that was a good comment of the priest, which was good in the way that it was... You'll see why in a minute. See, a lot of times, people are unaware that in part of spiritual life, when you start living the spiritual life, two things happen. Saint Ignatius says this, branching him off. One, your passions come out, and two, your mental problems start coming out. The mental problems were always there. It's just that they begin to become more, like the girl with the HSC and the thing. She never even knew she had it. But when someone's face goes purple, right, and she's there with the face, like, really like, min, like uh, distorted. And she's saying, I don't feel anything. Well, <laughs> you kind of say to yourself, well, why is one eye up, one eye down, and this, and why do you look so distorted? He goes, but I don't feel anything. Like a person that lost his mother when he was young. And I said to him, do you have a problem, mate, because you lost your mum when you were young? He goes, no. I don't feel anything. Well, what's that? I said, but that's because of your mum. That's okay to have pain because of your mother. He never even was aware that he had pain, that he lost his mother. So this is where, why? Because no one took the time when that person's mother died to console the child. So what well, he did, he had to deal with the whole problems by himself, in his own little world. How could he do that by himself? Anyway, so this priest said, may God give me anything how ridiculous that as long as I don't, as long as I don't run out of the room and someone chews Right, huh. anyway, so the, the priest is there and he's all shocked with this person's insight into the what well, into the holy into the epistles of Saint Theophanes. And he goes, I can't believe that you've been so young because the guy was only around 19. How do you know these things? And you're not even from an orthodox country. You live in, I don't know where he was, America, England. I don't know where this person was from. This happened in Greece. He goes, how do you know? I, go, I mean, if you were brought up in Greece or Russia or whatever, maybe we can understand because it's orthodox. But you're from a country where orthodoxy is not even much considered over there. And he goes, I'll tell you, the young fellow said. I'll tell you how I know, how I, how I learned these matters that you're talking about, these spiritual How I understood the epistles. He said, I learnt it from the thing that you said that you wish that you never have. What does that mean? In other words, he said, I learnt spiritual life from my OCD. Because from the OCD, I noticed my weakness. First thing in spirituality, to know you're weak, to know you can't do much. I learned that only with God does it actually get better at times. I learned to ask only God for help. I learned humility. I learned to be ridiculed for people to actually laugh at me and put me down when they noticed it, which then took away my pride that I'm something special because when people are laughing at you because you're running away because someone's doing, it's quite humiliating. See, we confused. We actually think that um, these problems that we have, our passions or mental or emotional, that a lot of times that they are disadvantaged to our spiritual life, but they are part of the spiritual life and that people who have a lot of these problems actually think... I've met people that are quite holy, holy people, and they've got mental issues, some mental issues there. Because we're all born and we've got wounds from our mum's wounds. We've got wounds as we grew up. And yes, the church does heal a lot of it. But it doesn't matter. Even if the, even if we don't get better for some of these issues, it doesn't matter Why? Because the main thing is that from these problems, our passions or mental problems, etc., we learn humility. And when you've got humility, then God gives you the grace. So that young person actually was given from God some grace to understand the writings of the, of the, of the saints. In other words, in a way, he was like those monks at Mount Athos that were hitting each other. They were suffering because they were trying to stop it. The same with him. It was hard. It was excruciating, but God gave him grace because he gained humility. And what's the message that Elder Porfirio says? When you have humility, and hence from that love, then God gives you his grace. When a person sees his own weaknesses, he doesn't look at other people's weaknesses. I always know an inexperienced person when they come to the church. How do I know an experienced person? When their eyes are looking at everyone and looking at everyone's fault, the more they look at everyone's fault, the more you know that they actually are spiritually immature. They actually have no idea of spiritual life. It doesn't mean that those who mature don't judge. We all judge, but the ones that are like always judging, judging, judging. Everyone, look at the way. He does. Look at the way he walks over there. Look at that. Look at this. Look at that. You know that that person has no idea of spiritual life. But that young fellow, he actually understood that his weakness, so he became more understanding of other people's weaknesses. And most of all, it gave him humility, and from that, so the priest, who was a, by the way, he was a, um, if I remember right, he was a preacher, used to go around to different cities and preach to different villages and different places. He was a preacher, he was a theologian, he studied. And um, he actually said to him, uh, may I have anything but what you have got? And at the end, he was shocked that the little 19-year-old knew and was able to interpret the epistles. Woe to those villagers that actually had him preach, because that man, I don't think, really had much of an idea of spiritual life. Questions? Nothing? Nothing? what happens to people have really big mental problems and who um, don't understand anything. Are they treated as if they like just past life and they aren't ever judged? If a person is mentally incapable, like mentally they are not uh, functional, right? In the church's eyes, that person uh, will not be judged according to his sins because the person is mental. That's why if a person is mentally disturbed and commit suicide, the church still buries them because it's not because they lost their mind. There are mental diseases which makes a person unable to function. Um, schizophrenia, like really. But Elder Porfirius actually says that in his opinion, a lot of mental illnesses come from sin and demons. Now, of course, um, I don't know whether his statement was absolute because sometimes I might say a comment, and it sounds absolute, but it's not meant to be absolute. So I think he's like, we know that some people physically... I also says that a lot of schizophrenia comes from the sins of their forefathers. In other words, your great-great-grandfather could have done something which is really bad, and then that child later on is born with uh, psychos- psychotic problems and schizophrenia. So it does, can come from that. Obviously, that's why parents, if they pray beforehand and ask God to bless the conception, and the pregnancy, and the birth, and thereafter. Obviously, we can avoid a lot of those things. And if it happens that the person still gets that, then that has to be dealt with. You don't just discard the child because it's got problems. But some problems, yes, um, are beyond the person. The missed person I'm talking about, for example, he was still able to function. He still worked. He was still able to do a lot of things, you know what I mean? But with problems. A lot of people here have got problems, and they still work, they still function, they are still married. You know, if you've got a problem and you're going to get married, you don't hide the problem and then later on you tell your wife or your husband, oh, by the way, um, you know, you've got to never clean your teeth because the sound of the brush really bothers me. So the person has to go through life with green teeth. It doesn't, it doesn't, you know, you've got to be upfront and you've got to tell people. That's humility. Tell the person, this is some of the problems that I've got. You don't hide things. I mean, I've spoken to couples, and couples open up and say many things of the complications and the issues of people, emotional issues, and a lot of issues are there. That's why those monks, that was a good example for us, because that's that's, that's, that's like couples. Some couples, that's how it is. They fight and fight and fight and fight, and you know what happens? The more they repent, the more they ask forgiveness from each other, the less uh, a lot of these things occur, unless that was an extreme um, example of Manathos where those monks were really smashing. God allows that sometimes for the demons to take really control of someone that's his wisdom maybe it was so that we can hear that example but in general there are weaknesses in us that don't leave easily and if you're going to get married or you already are married then you know people go through life hiding their, their true selves and live a very miserable life. Who's always avoiding? They don't want their wife or their husbands to know the truth behind what's really they've got. And I always tell people: open up and say it. Not sexual temptations, because that just go and say those things to the spiritual father, because you, that makes each other wild and they get jealous and like Just open up our everyday things. You know, you don't go and say, you know, I've got temptations of certain, you know inappropriate things because that can cause problems. You go and confess to the priest. But other things. I remember a father, he actually got jealous because when his wife had a child that the wife gave no more attention to him. Now obviously that man must have received a lot of attention when he was young from his mum. But sick attention. And uh, that person needed attention. Every minute of the day he needed attention. So when his wife gave birth to the child, he became jealous that the, that the woman, you know, and I tried to help the person and say, You must open up and say to your wife that you have this problem. If you don't, then your marriage is gonna go down. The more we open up, the more God gives us his grace because we are humbling ourselves. Anything which gives humility gains grace. Anything. Whether it's a mental problem, whether it's a weakness, whether it's anything, it gives, whatever is is humble, gives God's grace. And that's why it's important. Don't think, oh, I've got this issue. Oh, I've got this passion. I don't, I don't want one to find out. I don't want this. I don't want that. And it's like we're saying, get away from me. I don't want any help. It's through our passions, through our mental problems, through all these issues that we become spiritual. Not Some people have spiritual life as We go to church, and we're spiritual. We do our pharisaical prayers, then we're spiritual. Then we do our pharisaical fast, the 40 days or whatever, and we're spiritual. But spiritual is nothing outside of that. We read our books, that's spiritual. When we're at work, we can bludge, go to the toilet. Instead of taking five minutes, take 15 minutes and pretend you've got diarrhea. And all these, (laughs) so that doesn't matter. Our conscience doesn't bother us that we're actually robbing the bear take a couple of pens, that doesn't matter, right? That doesn't matter. Take a sicky when we're not sick, cheat at school, all these things. You see, these Christians do these things, Orthodox Christians do, because our life, it's like it's separate to our spiritual life. People say to me, "Um, I'm having problems with my wife, yes? And have you prayed about it? No. But he does all the fasts. I said, do you read spiritual books? Yes but you haven't prayed for your wife, it goes, oh, didn't even think of it. See, so separate, separate. Like sick, that's called sick Christianity. That's why people don't come to the talks much because I try to to present the talks where we're looking at ourselves and goes into ourselves. That's why a lot of times when the talk finishes, I notice a lot of you are like a bit, you know, dazed. And I know that the reason why you're like that is because it's affected you. And that's the purpose. And I'm not putting you down because I've got that. that's why I would say about myself with, with the same problem. So it's the same thing, all of us. We all suffer from Phariseism, we all suffer from this, we all suffer from that. That's why I say it all the time. But that's why the talks don't get a lot of people. Because people don't want to know about themselves. There's one group that want to know about all heresies, about ecumenism, which bishops praying with which heresy. That's one group. Then there's the other group which is that wants to know all about fasts and how they can look bright. And that way they can avoid having Botox and other facelifts (laughs) because their face is bright, their face is shiny. And why do they have to go and waste money for plastic surgery? (laughs) Others just want to be praised. You did the fast, all of it. Congratulations. And they, they love that. Others want to come up to you and say, Father, yesterday I did an Akathist. I said, Yes. And I, I did an Akathist. I'm sorry, I didn't bring my medals with me. Would you like me to bring a medal on you? Like, what's the. Uh, well, so what? Well, Have you done an Akathist? That's it. Well, it depends how you did it. Did you do it like a Pharisee? Well, it's worthless. I don't know, so it's hard. They want me to congratulate them. How can I congratulate them when I don't even know how they did it? I don't even know how my own prayers are a lot of times. Well, I feel dead and, and, I have, and I don't feel like doing much at all. So we all have our own problems. Next question. That was a good question. See how much came out of it? Yes, Helen. Mm-hmm. Um, but how do you know the difference between going for like, an emotional release or, or a true like, the release of Christ? What's the Before we go to that, people also come to confession um, because they want to speak about all the disgusting things that they've done and they get pleasure out of it because they want the priest to hear their filth. And then you have to stop and say to them, stop stop uh, it, um, because it's not a, a, um, it's not actually a repentance it's actually a means of getting pleasure of them telling you what, what they've done so people are like there's all strange reasons but back to your question that, that one's an extreme case um, but your question is how do you know when you come to confession that you're not coming for emotional reasons or some psychological need? As time goes on, one becomes more and more aware. And that's why it's good when we start confession to make sure we go when when we do decide to go. Some of you have never gone. We do decide to go when we have felt pain and remorse of what we've done and we want to change our life. That's what it means. It means... It's called The Mystery of Repentance and Confession. Repentance in Greek means metanoite. And that means change of life. You're changing your life. You no longer want to be like that. You don't want to no longer do those things and change your life. It is true that because people are emotionally got problems, etc., that they a lot of times they don't know. And that's where the priest has to help the person... I believe a lot of times the priest can't even say anything anymore, a lot of times because the person's going to react. What the priest needs to do is to pray, to take note of who has come in in their heads, the person's name, and serve liturgy and commemorate that person's name continually in the liturgy so that God, who knows everything, will fix and help that person come to a true life in Christ, which a lot of times the priest can't do because they don't have that discernment. See, I can go to help someone who's got a problem and at the end that person can become uh, angry or disturbed or go and harm themselves. You know, it's very difficult these days and that's why I felt it's just too difficult to continue with that. I mean, some priests are more uh, gifted. I like doing this. I can talk. I can help in that way. But I I find confession is one of the most, and even uh, Elder Profitius says, it's the hardest thing on earth. Is confession of... You know, where you're opening up the soul of the person and helping them to come to Christ. Also, once you start to help a person come to Christ, then the demons start. The demons will fight. The person will fight the priest. If the priest is married, then he'll fight his wife. Make the wife to hate him. Make his children to go crazy. So then... You know what I mean? And that's why a lot of priests... uh, Uh, um, the bishops don't make them spiritual fathers in the other jurisdictions. Serbian, as I said before, all become spiritual fathers. Russian all become spiritual fathers. But that's not how it should be. Spiritual fathers should be given to those who are mature spiritually and are able to be doctors of the soul. Anyway, we're living in bad times. There's not much of them around. So what we do is we take the, the, the best of the worst and at least the priest who understands his limitations to pray especially for the people in the liturgy for their souls and for God to help them to come to a realisation of the true life in Christ and that not and that the person starts not to have a psychological need to go to confession but starts to receive pain. I remember a priest once told me, he said to me, I had this person that came to me for many years and for some reason... He said he put himself down. He goes, for some reason, I noticed that... He said, I noticed this person couldn't lead a spiritual life. He goes, I noticed he couldn't lead a spiritual life. But he goes, I don't know why. I just didn't think to pray for that person. Sometimes priests are busy all over the place, whatever, uh, out of it sometimes. And um, especially if they're married, they've got a lot of other commitments. So... The priest said, I know something said to me, all these years I've noticed this person's never really progressed, but I've never really prayed for the person. So he said, I'm going to pray for the person. So he started to pray for the person, and not long after that, the person actually opened up and confessed something that they felt, but with pain, and actually wasn't an emotional, because a lot of people when they confess, they, they make it up a lot of times where it's emotional, it's all over the place. But this person actually came up for the first time and confessed something and said, and felt it. That's the power of the prayer. So a lot of it depends on the priest, that the priest is praying for the, for the people who are confessing to them. And if he doesn't, then there's no progress. Does that answer your question? As for, as for the person, I think what you're saying, how is can the individual know? This is what you're asking, isn't it? How, a lot of times they don't because they're, they're all over the place. And that's where it's important that they go to a priest who will pray for them. If they don't feel the priest is praying for them, go find someone who will. The most important thing in the spiritual life is to have a spiritual father who will take care of the person and pray for that person, During, especially during the divine liturgy. That is the grace that God gives that to that person can start changing their life. If they think, and a lot of priests today, because they've studied psychology, unfortunately, and Elder Profuse is against that, he says it's ridiculous, that some people are starting to use confession as psychology. So they're actually speaking to their spiritual children using psychological terms and, and not understanding um, the spiritual life and what is confession and what is the relationship with the person coming to God. They, they, just, they, they think that everything's to do with the mind. And that's not right, you see? So, seek spiritual fathers. Now, if you haven't got any around, or you think there's none around, then go to seek monasteries. Now, those in America, they're so fortunate because they've got over there um, an elder called Elder Ephraim who's actually established 18 monasteries. 18 fully functioning monasteries in America, where Satan worship exists, so and, and that is amazing, and a lot of people are going to those monasteries and receiving um, tremendous amount of help, there's nothing greater than to go, to have your name commemorated in, by, by a monastery in their daily, because a lot of monasteries do liturgies every day. And that's important. A lot of people, if they're not succeeding in spiritual life, I'll tell you why. Because you can't without the grace of God. And the grace of God comes from your humility to ask people to pray for you and to help you. In other words, we put one step forward and God takes a thousand steps towards us. That's all he needs. The little step. One step can be try to, you know, whether it's Russia or Serbia, or Greece, or in America, or whatever, Canada, find monasteries, ask for prayers. You might think that the people, you might ring up and say, I have a problem, and you think that they don't care. But they do care because they note everything. They might not act as if they're, they might not, um, to prevent themselves from getting prayed and all that, they might not actually say, oh yes, we'll pray for you, and this and that, they might not, they just listen, but the miracle will occur. So that is very, very important. Next question. Um, What a question on children. In this world of pressure, everybody feels pressure at work, at home, when you go out. You just feel pressure everywhere. How much pressure should a parent actually apply to a child to build up its resistance to pressure so it can cope with everyday pressure, when it grows up? The child that has been given from the first years a tremendous amount of love, not sport love, but true love, spiritual love, becomes a more uh, stronger person, For a, to give you an example. Now yes, it is anecdotal, but I've noticed that in a lot of people, children that weren't given love from young, proper love, attention, proper attention, they grow up weak, fearful, anxious, always with troubles. That's why they go on drugs, because they've got pain. Some of them go on drugs because of peer group pressure, but I tell you, a lot of them go on drugs because there's so pain within them. And like that girl that was suppressing her thing about the HSCs and that, and she used to actually drink to suppress all the pain or whatever she went through when she was young, a lot of people take drugs to suppress it because they're in pain. And when the pain can't be suppressed, you know what happens. So I noticed that the children that have been brought up with more love are stronger people, character wise, etc. The ones that were ignored a lot, then. I think they have even doing research now on those preschool, what do you call those, what do you call those centers? Okay. That there is a correlation, there is a kind of relationship between children that aren't as balanced and strong as those who were brought up by the, the parent. There was two children once that I experienced. One wasn't given much love and he was, to me, was scared of everything. Just everything was fearful to him. Because the the mother had postnatal, which of course could be from a number of reasons. But anyway, she didn't take much care of the child. She didn't want the child. The second child was brought up differently. It was was given more love. And, you know, when it was crying, it would tend to the child and make sure it was eaten properly and breastfeeding and all these things that are necessary in prayers and things like that. When the mother's in a better spiritual condition, the child becomes better spiritually as well. But I noticed that in situations which were a bit uncertain, that one child would just be scared of everything and the other child was not. If the father or the mother would go away from the first child, the child would start crying and running around and be, you know, going a bit berserk. And the other child would be calmer and looking around. Of course, you might say, oh, that's just, as we say, examples. But in reality, it's not because I've seen it in a lot of people. Even little examples trivial. I'll tell you, a trivial example, you might go, oh, how stupid. That's okay. I don't mind it, being called stupid. But anyway, what happened was, you know, like, you know, like a hose. I remember once I had, there was um, some people came years ago and we were at a place where there was a garden and there was a hose and it had a high-powered nozzle on top. And I just it was interesting that it just fitted into what I believe. One of the children who was not brought up with much love when they were young and, and as soon as it went, she went, oh, it's not a crime because it was the pressure. And it jumped up and it was crying. And then then the, uh, another child was going like that. It was going, and it was, it, was calm. it wasn't getting scared. And even when someone got the water and started spraying it close to its face, it didn't get scared. Well, the other one was jumping over the fence to get away. And I understood, and this is true because this is what the elder says as well, and fathers in general, that the child who's given a lot of love, proper love, not sport love, you've got to be careful, and this will come later on, when we do a dedicated talk on on love and praise and children, and things like that, that. That's coming soon. Spiritual love, which most of you don't understand what that means, that doesn't matter, but you'll learn later on. That the child is stronger. Someone said to me, Oh, my nephew, my, I found out that my nephew went to some place to do some indoor soccer or something. Uh, how old's your nephew? He goes, oh, About Seventeen, and I go, who's your nephew? And I remember, okay, that's your nephew. And then um, I knew about that that particular child's upbringing it wasn't very nice. Violence, the, the the parents fighting continued. horrible horrible atmosphere, horrible horrible upbringing. And it says that um, this fellow Tommy goes, oh, and it fell it fell down, and then and it, and it fell down. And then later on, I looked around, he was gone. And I asked around, where is he? And someone said, oh, he's gone to the doctor. And I said, why didn't he go with you? He goes, I don't know. So he went to the doctor and he found him there and his toe had a little scratch on it. And he went to the doctor, he was all scared and fearful. And he said, the man told me, why is he like that? And I said, because the child's full of anxiety. He's in and he's gone through a lot. So he is scared of everything. I really doubt that that child's going to be able to do much in life, to be truthful, damaged. Obviously, with the church, he can get better. But at the time being, he is really damaged, fearful. And a lot of that is because the parents transmitted that to the, to, to the kids. OK. So um, that's it. With time didn't get through much. But I mean, we did get through a lot of other things. So what we're going to do is the following. Those who haven't been here before, are welcome to come and take a book of the curse icon as a gift. So that's there. Come up personally. I will give that at the end of the talk, some laminated icons, um, which someone donated, which is good, um, for their children. So they said, I'm going to, uh, you know, can I pay for, the?" usually the monastery pays for this, But this person said, I want to pay for these. I want to do it for the soul of my children. So they gave the money and we produced these icons, pictures, sorry, of Elder Porfirios, a few things there. And if the Elder was able to do miracles while he was alive, now that he's gone, he can do more. So those who want can pray. And there's also two programs. One is for the next talk. The other one is something that I've decided to do. We're going to have a dedicated day. No talk like we're having now. We're going to have a a special paraclysis service, a very long service, a nice service, and an acathus to Saint Senya. Now, I've written here Saint Senya is known for helping those with everyday problems, such as finding employment, housing, assisting those with financial, marital, mental health issues, addiction problems, and aiding those looking for spouse or hoping for children. Today, many are suffering the effects of the current economic crisis, obviously. There's a lot of people that are scared to lose their jobs. Some of you have lost your jobs. Some of you are in financial problems with your houses. Saint Xenia is famous, is very much known for that, that she helps people with those very problems. Orthodox Christians should turn to Saint Xenia to ask for her prayers during these difficult times and not to mediums and psychics, which is contrary to God's commandments. Because some people, even Orthodox Christians, go to these people that are that's demonic, lose their souls because they want to get uh, good luck from them and things like that. You don't go to those places. And that's that. Well, anything else that we need to um, address? The paraklesis is the Greek word for the canon to a saint, which we sing, asking the saint for help. Russians call it melebon, but they usually do a, a a shortened version because everyone comes and asks the priest. And if they did the full version, which took about an hour, then they'll never go home, and their wives would get upset. So they. But this one will be the full version, which is singable, and it's like we've done the Mother of God in the past. That's also a paraklesis. And we're also going to do the Akathist. Christ is risen from the dead, by death has given death and has in grace bestowed life.